our drummer told me, try not to suck. So after church is over, you guys can tell me <laughs> it was one way or the other. So hey, again, we're so glad you guys are here. Um, and today, there's actually three areas in the Gospels where we're going to hit on today, but we're going to focus in on Mark chapter 1. If you guys do not have your Bibles or your phones or a tablet or whatever, uh, raise your hand and we'll bring you a Bible. And it looks like my wife needs a Bible. So make, make my wife feel a little better about herself and other people raise your hands and Andrew will bring you a Bible. But uh, Mark chapter 1 uh, there's, there's four Gospels, it means good news, and it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. It's also found in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 8. But to catch you up, kind of where we are, we're going through the life of Christ, and Jesus is coming out with this message, this idea that you need to repent, you need to change your lifestyle, and you need to believe. Uh, those are the three things, and so to change the direction of your life, you're going one way, and God asks you to turn around and go in the direction that actually lines up with Him. If anybody asks you, hey, what's Christianity about? You can say, hey, it's the idea of, you know, repenting of one life and going in the direction that God wants us to go. And right off the bat, Jesus is walking near the Sea of Galilee, and He sees some other guys who are fishing, and He tells them to turn around, basically go in a different direction. You were going this way to go fishing, and Jesus tells them, how about you go in a different direction? Instead of fishing for fish, why don't you follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. That's what they decided to do, and so they joined him. And this is the message that they joined him in. Repent, change directions of your life, and believe in Jesus. And the message of Jesus is a message of dying to your old life, and basically giving your life over to Him and experiencing the abundant and eternal life that only He can provide. And then Jesus actually does some really crazy, amazing things. He heads into the synagogue and a man that's possessed by demons, and I don't know if you've experienced that in church, but a demon-possessed guy comes in and Jesus is like, you know what, hush. Um, and the demons were quiet and he cast them out of the man. And all the people that witnessed it that day were like, whoa, this isn't like the religious stuff that we've experienced before. This is different. This is on a magnitude that we've never seen. Um, and so I think sometimes we get into religion and we start thinking of it being just this way. We start forgetting that Jesus may offer something incredibly more. Uh, then he heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law, which one of my first questions when I get to heaven to Peter is, did you want him to heal her? <laughs> no, I don't know. We, some of us love our mother-in-laws and some of us, I love mine in doses. So when, the, when, when Jesus does all this, people actually start coming from everywhere. And they start flocking to Jesus. You would too, right? I mean, if you had any kind of sickness or disease or uh, anything that was wrong, if you were possessed by demons, you'd want to get to the feet of Jesus. Catch a, a passage that I, I read last week in Luke chapter 40. I'll put it on the screen. But it says, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. Now, here's the key part here. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. No matter what it was, the touch of his hand. 
See, I, unfortunately, I get into places in my life where I look at certain conditions or I look at people in their illnesses or their disease or even some people that are riddled with sin and I put them in a category of there's nothing that could be done. But with Jesus, anything is possible. And a few weeks ago, I I told you guys, I think the reason we struggle with a lot of the things that Jesus did and a lot of the things that we read in the Old Testament, the um, amazing miracles and the things that God showed his power through, one of the reasons that we struggle with that is because we struggle with the very first verse of the Bible, which says, in the beginning, God created And if God created it, God can do anything in it that he wants. If he wants to split the earth in half, he could do it. Because he created it. And all throughout this section of the life of Christ, we have kind of been honing in on some encounters that people have had with Jesus. And today, we're going to hone in on another encounter that somebody has with Jesus. And... uh, and it's, it's kind of gross and amazing at the same time. And so if you guys will pray with me, let's just invite God to speak to us this morning through his word. So Father God, we just, we welcome you in this place. I pray that you'll speak to us. That through your word, we will not only understand what you're trying to say, but we'll look at how we're living our lives and how we can just take one step closer to lining our life up with you. So I pray that so much. So speak to us today, and this we ask in your name. Amen. Well, it started out a few years ago. You know, the man, he woke up that morning, and he was getting ready for work, and he noticed on his arm just a small little bit of swelling on his arm. A little bit of dry skin, looks a little irritated, and so He did what we would probably do. He didn't think much of it at the time. You know, it's a part of life, right? We have little abnormalities every once in a while that show up. And and so he didn't think that much of it. But slowly over time, he noticed that the infection was getting worse and worse. And, you know, as things start to spread and you try to cover it up with clothing. And that's what he did every single day as he would wake up and he would get dressed in his robe and he would make sure that he would cover up what was starting to spread on his arm and it was getting worse and worse and he would try harder and harder and fear starts to kick in as this disease slowly starts to spread in such a way that he knew and this is the hard part about it he knew at one point in time he would no longer be able to hide his condition and so he sat down with his wife and he shared with her what was going on and as they kind of had their, their time, that intimate, real heart-to-heart time, the fear just, it starts to continue to sink deeper and deeper that he no longer can keep the secret. And his worst fear would be that this is the disease that he had heard people talk about. that he had seen the people with this disease kind of isolated off on a distance. That's where they were supposed to be. 
And they weren't allowed into town. In fact, they weren't allowed to come within six feet of other people. That was the law. They were casted out and isolated. And this was his worst fear. And his worst fear was slowly becoming his reality. And he knew the law. And the law said that he would have to go to the high priest. And he would have to be examined by the high priest. And if it came back that he was unclean, then his fate was sealed. That his life would never be the same. And he knew that that moment, that he would have that last time with his children. Could you imagine going home and knowing that this is the last time you'd be able to embrace your child? He would no longer be able to feel the breath of his child as it fell asleep on his chest. He would no longer be able to feel the warmth of his wife laying next to him at night, holding hands as they went on their next date. There would be no more dates. And now he has joined those off in the distance, those that no one wants to be near. His life would be summed up in one word, leprosy. Leprosy would now define him. And the goal each day would be survival. To hopefully have someone that would show compassion to him and give him some food. And each day, maybe his family, he'd see his family off in the distance and they would wave, but they wouldn't come too close. And day after day and night after night and week after week and month after month and now it's been years. But one day, he heard the crazy story buzzing around what we would call the untouchables, the other people that had the same condition that he had. And there was this buzz around them. There was some word spreading that there was this guy doing some amazing things. Uh, It said that he cast out some demons at church. and That's absolutely insane. That's really cool. And that he healed this lady of her illness. And it seemed like everyone was coming to this man that they were calling Jesus And they were leaving different. In fact, he heard that uh, by the simple touch of Jesus' hand would heal you. But therein lies the problem. The touch. Because certainly even this man named Jesus who seems to care and love people would not touch this man in his condition. There's no way he would do the unthinkable and touch one of the untouchables. But what if, what if he could somehow make his way to the feet of Jesus? The worst thing that could happen was be that they would kill him. Which might end up being a blessing for him anyway. It would just speed up the inevitability, right? It's going to happen anyway. And he figures it would be worth the risk. That he would do whatever he, ha- he could do to make it to the feet of Jesus. And maybe today would be the day that would change his life forever. It's amazing to me that this story sounds real familiar to me. Um, if you've been in church long enough, you'll hear people talk about not being welcomed 
into church or into a relationship with Jesus. They feel like they have to get clean or they have to get right before they are welcomed in. That they have to get everything situated so that they appear to be what they should be. And unfortunately, the church sometimes does a bad job of welcoming people that look unclean, that sound unclean, that appear unclean. And people get discouraged. They feel like, you know what, there's no way. He's got to be so disappointed in me because of the things that I've done. And we feel gross, we feel messed up, we feel deep down that there's no way that God would be willing to reach down and touch my life. And I want you to know, if you've felt that way, or if you feel that way, then you're misunderstanding the love of Jesus Christ and the magnitude of his grace and his mercy. And so what I want to do is I want to go through this passage in Mark chapter 1 and then kind of share a few thoughts with you. But Mark chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 40. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Mark, 40, or Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. He says, If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and he touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. It says, then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the high priest, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Wow. The unthinkable with the untouchables. See, this man with leprosy throws himself at Jesus' feet. And in Luke's account, if you read in Luke's account, Luke chapter 4, I believe, Luke basically says that he had advanced stages of leprosy, that he was filled with leprosy, probably because Luke was a physician. So he's going to give you a little bit more detail into the physical condition of this person. And he says, as he gets to Jesus' feet, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus, moved with compassion, reaches out and touches him. And immediately the man is healed. This is fascinating because no rabbi would touch a person with leprosy. Never. Yet Jesus, being a rabbi, reaches out and touches him and he's immediately healed. In fact, it's interesting that the law said that no one was allowed to touch a person with leprosy, and obviously a person with leprosy wasn't even allowed to get within six feet of somebody else. And Jesus reaches down and touches him, and he's immediately... Now, think about that. Could you imagine the leprosy police coming up? Excuse me, Rabbi Jesus. Um, You touched a man with leprosy. That's against the law. And I would imagine that Jesus' response would be like, what man with leprosy? 
I don't see a man with leprosy. Jesus is amazing in that. He is willing to reach out and touch the most unclean, spiritually unhealthy, disease-ridden, demon-possessed. And then he sends the guy off, but he tells him not to tell anyone, but go to the priest to examine you and take your offering by the law. You can read about um, that. If, if you go to Leviticus 13 and 14, there's a whole bunch of stuff there that will put you to sleep in the accounts of leprosy. Uh, but if you're ever interested in just kind of figuring out a little bit more about that, you can do that. And actually, if you want to research leprosy more, um, you can go online or you can go to the library and do that. But it's a crazy thing. But inside this story, inside the story of the man who gets healed, I believe lies our story. But what makes this man unclean is that he has this disease called leprosy. In, first century, in the first century, leprosy was way more known than it is today. Uh, we, don't, we don't go around you know, town going, oh my God, do they have leprosy? Uh, but in first century, it was a very known thing. It was a disease that was scary because it was scary looking from the outside. But what I didn't know until I started researching it, leprosy actually starts from the inside. It starts with a bacterial infection on the inside, and it slowly grows. And it takes about 3 to 20 years for you to actually show symptoms of it. It makes it, it makes it nearly impossible to figure out how you got it and where you got it and when you got it. And the symptoms start to appear by swelling and discoloration of the skin and eventually it becomes scaly. It becomes incredibly nasty. I would show you pictures, but it is so gross and it's not even 11 o'clock. But the word leprosy... Um, comes from a Greek word called lepra, which means scaly or scabbed. It derives from a word lepo or lepo, which means to peel off like scales, that your skin would just get so discolored and so scaly, and eventually it attacks your nervous system. And so you basically lose feeling in certain areas of your body where you're infected and where you're and so people will actually do things and hurt themselves without even knowing about it because they can't feel it. And so you'll start to scrape at your skin and they'll start to tear away the skin. It'll get so bad that parts of your skin will fall off, parts that are not bone, like your nose and your ears, will fall off. Uh, people will burn themselves and not know it. They will cut themselves and not know it. In fact, I heard somebody this past week, um, as I was kind of re reading through this, um, said that one of the best feelings for a person with leprosy is pain because at least it's something that they can feel. But it's a horrible, horrible, horrific thing. Modern day, today, it's a disease, a disease that we call Hansen's disease. And today, obviously, with advanced medicine, it's able to be controlled and treated. But for this man in our story, there is no cure. This becomes your reality. You are considered 
And actually, I think Josephus, the historian, said this. You become the walking dead. That's how you are seen. You will die. And if it sounds horrible already, it gets worse. Because what they do is they basically kick you out. You are considered an outcast. You are not allowed in. You're not allowed into town. You're not allowed around people. You are isolated and outcast. And the reason they did that is because they didn't want to be near anybody with leprosy because they didn't know how it was spread. Um, In Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 and 46, it says this. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean unclean he shall remain unclean as long as he has this disease he is unclean he shall live alone his dwelling shall be outside the camp can you imagine that you have to live your life in such a way that when you get anywhere near people you have to shout unclean unclean I'm unclean you have to wear clothes they're torn which some of our young people and samantha they do anyway so so you got that it's okay but you grow your your hair long enough that it comes over your mouth you're gonna live alone an isolated life when i was a kid um i would get a whooping cough or a, a the crud or basically uh just where my lungs wouldn't function very well, and I would have this cough. And back then, what they would do is they would put me in an oxygen tent. Anybody in the 70s do the oxygen tent? Or 60s? Nobody? Somebody? Okay. I remember being in this little oxygen tent at the hospital, and it's where I would have to spend days and even weeks at a time to get my lungs back where they needed to be. And I remember being there, and even though every once in a while there would be people in the room I felt so alone. Like, I felt lonely. I'm like, there's this little tiny piece of plastic between me and people. And just that plastic really, I I didn't like it. It made me feel alone. And maybe you've had strep or some kind of illness where you've had to be quarantined. And at first, it's actually kind of nice because it's peace and quiet. Some of you guys are like, that sounds really amazing right now. Just to be quarantined by myself. But we were not created to be alone. We are created to be social beings, to interact with other people. It's why one of the worst forms of punishment in the prisons is is isolation. To be all alone. And my oxygen tent was bad, but it was nothing compared to the life that a person with leprosy would have to live. Because theirs was forever. And no one wanted to be near them. That is the life of a leper. So let's go back real quick to Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says, The man with leprosy came and he knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. And I think this is the picture of how it looks to come to Jesus. 
to kneel before him, begging him to heal us, saying, God, if you are willing. And we would all say, but we, I don't have leprosy. And here's where underneath this story comes our story. And so bear with me a little bit here real quick. Because what makes this man unclean is that he has leprosy. What makes us unclean is the curse of sin. His leprosy makes him unclean. His leprosy is what separates him from others. There is nothing that he can do humanly to cure it. He is cursed by leprosy. We are cursed by sin. Our sin is what makes us unclean. It is what separates us from God. Our sin, there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that I can do on my own to make up for my sin. It is incurable by my own standard. Sin is a disease that has infected all of us. And just like leprosy, it starts from the inside. Leprosy would start on the inside and it would work its way to the outside and obviously it would take a long, slow process to get there. But that's how it works. That's how most diseases work. Something inside of your body isn't working right. Your cells are off. You have a disease and it takes time but eventually we start to recognize it from the outside. Just like leprosy. And sin also does this. Sin works slowly. It destroys from the inside out. And at first, it isn't noticeable all that much. But it is doing incredible damage. And it starts out with a real small infection. And you guys have been there and I've been there. It starts out with a little infection. It's something like a little white lie here and there. It starts out with a little group of us gossiping in the corner. It starts with a sexual thought, looking at something that maybe we shouldn't look at, and it enters our head, and it's small, and it doesn't seem to be all that destructive, but it is. And the lies that we tell develop into a habit of lying, and you start believing your own lies. That small gossip that we have with a little group of friends slowly grows into something way bigger and we spend most of our time talking about people behind their back than we do face to face. And that sexual thought becomes something that you end up allowing it to fester, you allow it to just settle in and start, you start to live that out. And it goes to a place that does not honor God. It all starts on the inside. And eventually it will make its way out. So what nobody noticed before, and you covered it up pretty well, it grows and soon it takes over and now it becomes apparent to other people. <clears throat> and when it does this, it makes us less appealing. Leprosy was gross. No one looked at a man filled with leprosy and said, that dude looks good. He's looking fine. Dude, your nose just fell off. But hey, I can dig that. It was unattractive. It was gross. It was, it was yucky. 
That's how my daughters would say, yucky. And that's what sin is. It's gross. And eventually it will start destroying us. And the more and more we live in sin, the more we dishonor God, the less attractive we will be. And you guys know this. You've seen people that just, they are just living in sin. And what you thought was okay at first begins to be something that just, it's not appealing. One of the ones that I struggle with and I work on is just pride. You know, people that are incredibly proud and they, are, they do not have a humble bone in their body and they just talk about themselves. And it gets gross. People that are abusive, people that um, just live angry lives, people that are um, just down all the time. And it gets ugly. The other thing in the correlation between us and leprosy is that I can't fix it on my own. This man can't fix his leprosy. There's nothing that he can personally do to fix his condition. And so he kind of just goes about his life accepting it. This is who I am. And he could take as many showers and baths as he possibly could and it's not going to help. And you, even if we had Hansen's disease today, we would need something from the outside. In his day, the only, the only thing that could help was Jesus. And in the same way, there's nothing I can do about my sin on my own accord. I need help. I need Jesus to come in to my life and touch me in such a way that I start to change, that I do not live this way anymore. And the Bible is clear <clears throat> that my sin is what separates me and God. And so we come before Jesus and we kneel before him just like this guy does. And we ask, if you are willing, will you heal me of the sickness in my life? And I find this really cool. My wife and I were uh, talking late last night and she said, how cool would it have been? Because, you know, obviously Luke says that this is an advanced stage of leprosy. And if it was an advanced stage of leprosy, there's a very good chance that this guy did not feel anything where he was uh, incredibly ridden with this disease. Wouldn't it be amazing that the first thing he's felt in years was the touch of Jesus? That's amazing. I want to close. There's a passage in Colossians 1, 21 through 23, and it's a passage that has been a big part of my life. But one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, uh, is this disease really that big of a deal? 
And so Colossians 1, 21 through 23 says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. The good news has, has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. See, only Jesus can heal you of your sin. There is this gap. There is a separation. It says that we become enemies of God. We have been separated from him because of our sin. And Jesus, what he does on the cross is he brings the cure. He brings the, the, the word in this the, is in a different version is reconciliation. He reunites us through the cross. And he offers life that we actually don't think is possible. And so many people, just like the man with leprosy, have just rested into the fact that there is nothing that can be done. I have too much sin. There's too much stuff there that separates me from him. Too much junk in my life. Too much in my past. And it may be addictions. It may be hurts and habits. Maybe you were abused, and that's a part of your story. And you've carried that weight your entire life. And you have given up on any kind of hope that there's anything that can help. And Jesus, full of compassion for your life and for mine, goes to the cross so that we can be reconciled and brought into the, his presence, holy and blameless. It says, without a single fault. And that is something that only Jesus can provide for your life. Now, if you read ahead, you'll notice that the man with leprosy, the first thing that he does after his encounter with Jesus and experiencing the love and healing power of Jesus, what does he do? He disobeys God. <laughs> he disobeys Jesus. He does exactly what Jesus tells him not to do. In Mark 1.43, it says Jesus basically gave him the stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. And the reason that Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody about this, is because he doesn't want this to be all about the marvels. He wants it to be about the message. And if everybody comes out of the woodwork for free health care through Jesus, it's going to prohibit him from being able to share the message, to going to the places that he wants to go to. But it says this, verse 45, the, the, but the man went and he spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. And so he goes to Jesus, we go to Jesus, and you experience his love and grace and compassion, powerful healing, and the first thing that you do is disobey him. 
And his story continues to look a little bit more like my story because I can't tell you how many times that I've experienced Jesus in an amazing and powerful way and then the first thing that I do is I go out and do something that breaks his heart. And I can't tell you how many times I've done that. And the last thing that Jesus wants us to do is to continue to live a life of sin. Because that's not a life in him. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And that's what we want. A new life in Christ that continues to change every single day and draws closer to him where we love more and we sin less. Where Jesus looks at each of us filled with spiritual leprosy and he reaches out his hand and he's willing to do the unthinkable and touch the untouchables. And that is you and that is me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for continuing to speak to us through your word. And as we read through this, I just am continue to be reminded that my story looks a lot like this guy's story and obviously not the physical condition of this disease of leprosy, but this spiritual leprosy that we have that is sin. And I ask you to forgive me, to forgive us when we fall short. And I pray that we'll just continue to, to live each day doing the very best that we can to just embrace you with everything that we have and to lean into you and to bring more of you into ourselves and that we will sin less and we will love more. So help us continue to change. And this we ask in your name. Amen.